In our passage today, we read about how our ascended Lord summons his people to his great battle, beginning now a foreshadowing of the great battle that is going on in this world spiritually. We'll read together from Mark chapter 16, the verses 9 to 20. Jesus at this point has been crucified in the gospel of Mark, and then he has risen from the dead. At this point, there are only a few of them that have been, a few of the disciples and followers of Jesus that have been made aware of this. The vast majority have not, and Although they were told about it, they are still very much afraid and they continue to hide. And we come to Mark 16, verse 9. And it gives us a recap. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And all these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And here comes our text for today. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now at this point you may realize, uh, you may have seen the footnote at the bottom if you've got a pew Bible, how it speaks differently about verses 9 to 20, or if you have another translation, you may see how it's marked out separately And while this is not found in some of those earliest manuscripts, what is missing here is also that it is found in the vast majority of manuscripts. That is our passage for today. Once again, verse 20, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever been put in charge as a babysitter when your parents were away? 
For some of you, this may have been a very long time ago. For others of you, this may have been yesterday. It's quite something to be trusted with that for the very first time, isn't it? And it's interesting what happens in an ideal situation. Of course, we all know of times when it doesn't go well, but let's, let's focus on when it goes right. Your parents put you in charge. Then they told your sibling, listen, your older brother or sister is in charge. We've given them authority. We'll support them in what is right. Behave, and we want you to be in bed by the time we get back. You're afraid at first. What if they don't listen? What if something goes wrong? But the phone number is there if you need to talk. And the authority that your parents have given to you is there as well. You talk and you all begin to get ready for supper. You're reasonable, your siblings listen, and suddenly you go from being nervous to a lot more certain. What your parents said made a difference. Normally, your siblings would never listen to you in this way, but suddenly they're so much more agreeable. You follow the regular routine, supper, things go well, everyone helps clean up, no one wants to make this harder for everyone, anyone. You help brush your little sister's teeth, your little brother gets himself ready for bed. You sing a song, they climb into bed. You clean up a little bit more so that dad and mom have a pleasant surprise when they get home and then you go to bed yourself. And the last thing you think as your eyes grow heavy and your head sinks into your pillow is how happy dad and mom will be when they get home. And then you're asleep. I can just see some of you parents grinning in my mind's eye. This would be a dream come true. But think of the heart of the story here. A command given, authority supporting, a promise of return, and growing bravery as this authority begins to make a real world change. This is what we celebrate today. Today is, is when we are reflecting back on Ascension Day that we saw this past Thursday. It's a day that we celebrate Christ going into heaven. And it's on this day that we remember that Jesus Christ not only went to heaven, but that he sits on the throne with authority. More than that, he has given his promise that he hasn't forgotten us, but that he is still with us. Today I proclaim to you the word of God. Be brave. Our ascended Lord is working with us. And we'll see, first of all, the source of our confidence. And in the second place, the result of our confidence. Our passage begins in verse 20 here with the disciples going out and preaching everywhere. And we see the words, the Lord working with them. One of the first things that we see here and that we need to see here is the recognition of authority that is happening here. What do we see Jesus called here? We see him called Lord. Now, of course, Mark has used the word Lord before. Mark the evangelist, although it's mostly been talking about the Father 
in his work in heaven and not the son on earth. But even when it has been used to talk about Jesus throughout the gospel of Mark, for example, in chapter 11, verse 3, they ask for a donkey and it says, the Lord has need of it. Or when we see Jesus talking about a prophecy about himself from the Old Testament saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And when we see other people call him Lord as well, though not too often. There we can see it's quite often the simple Lord that people use when speaking respectfully. Or else it can be a reference for the person who's reading through the Gospel of Mark. It could be seen as a reference to the Lord in heaven. There's no shock, no outrage from the people or from the Pharisees around. It's just used in a common way. But never do we find the evangelist, Mark himself, describing Jesus as Lord through the gospel in the way that he does in our passage here today. Never do we find it in terms of respect and reverence of the ascended Lord of God who is sitting on the throne of the way that it's so often used in the Old Testament referring to the Lord himself. Never until this passage here. Now for the first time, Mark the evangelist himself describes Jesus as the Lord. Not in a sense of the respectful sir, but in a sense of the Psalm 110, the son of man who is ascended, who is sitting at the right hand of God. The psalm that Jesus himself had referred to when he foreshadowed it earlier in his ministry. The son of man who was the very person described when he was himself interrogated in Mark 14. He said, you will see the son of man. We read in verse 61 of that passage, the challenge of the high priest. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And at that time, the high priest tore his clothes and said, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to death. Even here, you can see that he's not referred to as Lord, but the high priest still makes it very clear that he understands the direction that Jesus is going here. And now, now we see the reverence in the evangelist's tone as he describes the Lord, Jesus as the ascended Lord, the Psalm 110 Lord sitting at the right hand of God. And there it's no statement of blasphemy anymore. This is instead a statement describing his power. Verse 19 of our passage. It says, the Lord was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That claim of Jesus once thought to be blasphemy by those chief priests because it clearly made him equal in power to God himself has now been shown to be true. He has been received into heaven. And notice the word that it says received. 
The Father himself received him with open arms. This signifies an approval of the work of Christ, a delight in his Son. He has been received into heaven as Lord. And now he sits as king. He sits as ruler. He sits at the right hand of his father in heaven where he has been given the position of ultimate power as Lord. The Lord working with them, verse 20. Our Lord has authority, loved ones. He has power. And this is everything that the gospel of Mark was pointing to. What do we mean by that? When we say it's everything the gospel of Mark was pointing to. Well, consider the great contrast between our Lord Jesus and his disciples that's described throughout Mark's gospel. What's the key word that we find again and again and again in Mark? The key word that we find is the word immediately. It's a small Greek word that derives the gospel of Mark on with power. Time and time again, we see this word reappearing as Jesus is boldly moving forward. And we get a sense that the time is short. And so Jesus goes out with immense authority, powerfully proclaiming the kingdom of God. We get a small taste, a small hint of his power here. Now contrast as our our master goes forward with such power and authority with the actions of his disciples throughout this gospel. What do we find his disciples doing? And this is important to consider as we look at our passage today here too, the contrast there. But originally, what do we find his disciples doing? We find them trembling with fear. Even as recently as verse 8 of Mark chapter 16, right near the end of the gospel of Mark, we see this same thing coming forward. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Even after they heard that Jesus had risen up from the dead, but they didn't see him themselves yet. Now, why does it describe them in this way? It's not to make fun of them. God isn't mocking them. But the theologian Craig Evans says it best here when he's describing what's going on in this gospel. He says, the purpose is to highlight the contrast between the masterful commanding Jesus on the one hand and the much weaker and less comprehending disciples on the other. The evangelist wishes to present Jesus to the Roman world as a compelling figure, as the true savior. And here, if that was already true then, How much more true is it here when he has been elevated up to the right hand of God and he's been given that title, Lord? But there's more to it than just that. Reverence, submission, humbly bending your knee before Jesus as ascended Lord. Notice the effect that this has on his disciples. Notice what bending the knee does. First, they were 
these trembling figures. First, they were these people who were filled with fear, even as Jesus went out masterfully and boldly. But now that they see him as ascended Lord, they see him as more than rabbi, as more than master, but as their Lord, there's a change that happens. Suddenly his disciples are filled with courage and with power. Again, the contrast, as recently as we saw it here in verse 8 of Mark 16, they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And we find them just like they've shown themselves throughout the gospel of Mark, confused, trembling with fear, responding with uncertainty and anxiety. But once they finally see Jesus for who he is, and they finally believe in him fully, as Lord, once he has worked in them and transformed them, then they can move from day to day, from power to power, from government to government, knowing and resting in the fact that he is on the throne in heaven. They move out with power, we see. They move out with boldness. Verse 20 of our passage, they preached everywhere because they knew to whom they had bent the knee. They knew who was on the throne, the Lord, their Lord, Jesus Christ. His authority gives hope. It gives courage. It makes them brave. As we confess about Christ in Belgian Confession, Article 26, this mediator, however, whom the Father has ordained between himself and us, should not frighten us by his greatness so that we look to, for another in accord with our fancy. There is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. He is in heaven as our Lord, and he loves his people. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Does that not strengthen you, loved ones? As the old hymn says in hymn 54, Under the shadow of thy throne the saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thy arm alone. And our defense is sure. Does that not give you comfort? Does that not give you courage? But they don't just go in their own strength, knowing that he is on the throne some distance away. But here's the second benefit that we receive. It's not just knowing that our defense is sure, but it's also the confidence of knowing that he is with us. Us. And this brings us to the second thing that we will consider as we look at our passage today, the result of our confidence. It's here that the second part of our text hits us like a hammer blow. These words, the Lord working with them. 
They went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. When our Lord ascended into heaven, he didn't go there for a holiday. It wasn't after a much-deserved break, for a much-deserved break, after 33 years of hard work and suffering on this earth, topped off with a crucifixion. Consider how things unfolded after this moment in time, looking at the book of Acts for a moment. How does that open? The author Luke writes there, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. This is what he began to do. But his work carries on. When Christian men and women breathe their last, when their eyes begin to droop and their chest rises and lowers one final time, then they go to their eternal home, as we read in Ecclesiastes. They go from this gray world and enter into one which is gloriously bright. They enter into the presence of one who says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And from then onwards, there is rest from the evils of this world. There is a separation from the troubles of this place and life with the one who is the source of all life. There is a time of eager waiting as the saints of God in heaven wait for this broken world to be finally healed when all sin will be wiped out and suffering ended. Yes, there is rest. But not for our Lord. Jesus Christ isn't resting as he sits down at the right hand of his Father, but he is working. What he began to do during his lifetime is something that he continues right on to this present day. Think about that very carefully for a moment. The work of Jesus carries on. It's happening now. The Lord is working right now. There's another thought here to consider, and that's the nature of this work, what it looks like. We know that Christ is working in heaven and that he remains in the heavenly sanctuary as a symbol, as a picture, as a reminder of our righteousness, the righteousness of whoever believes in him. Having come in the flesh, being in the flesh, having a human body gives us confidence that humanity can enter into heaven and can stand before God's holy throne. But there's more to his work than just that in heaven. We read here, the Lord was working with them. Men and women often have trouble keeping their promises. We're so prone to forget. But our faithful Lord never forgets. As we read in Matthew 28, he promised there before he ascended into heaven, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And here in our passage in verse 20 of Mark 16, he is delivering on that promise. 
And it's knowing that especially that gave his disciples courage. More than that, knowing that in times of trouble he would give them the words to say, how much more incredible of a promise could he give than that? But it's not just the promise itself that carries them forward. We read here, he gave them confirming the word through the accompanying signs. He gave them signs to remind them of that promise. How is that a great comfort? Well, consider an example from today. It's one thing if your employee, the person who's working for you on your Zoom meeting, promises to get certain things done. It's quite another when suddenly his screen is shared to your laptop and you can see the work that's being done, the things that are unfolding without you even having to lift your hand to see them carried out. We read in our passage of the promises that are given, of the signs that are given, promises of power and faithfulness and the nearness of the Lord, even though he seems to be far away, ascended in heaven. But even so, in the knowledge of his power, his disciples step out. Having received the promise, his disciples step out and begin to preach everywhere. And what happens? Signs and miracles begin to accompany them. Imagine the excitement as this happens. Imagine the excitement of Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 as they begin to travel to the temple for their very first public appearance for preaching after Pentecost. Their sovereign Lord is on the throne. This they have in their minds. This memory, this reminder, their sovereign Lord is on the throne. Every step of the way, he is with them. And on their way, as they're going out to preach, to carry out what he called them to do, they see a lame man, one who isn't able to walk, begging on the side of the road, one in desperate need of help and of hope. And they look at him and they say these words, In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And oh, the power of that name. This man leaps to his feet and is jumping and singing and praising God. What better reason for courage? What better reason for joy could they have had as they went into the temple to preach? This vivid picture that Jesus was with them. That they could call on his name and he was with them. If there was any hesitation before, any uncertainty before, it's stripped away here and now. They spoke in the name of the one who's on the throne and he showed his power. He showed that he's working with them. It's not anything that was inside Peter or John as they were talking to this man that they could speak and say, get up and walk, and he could walk. It's the fact that Jesus was with them. And Jesus reached out and made this man walk by his power. If it wasn't for the work of Jesus, all their words would be for nothing. They were just regular 
working people like you and me. Peter and John were just regular Jewish fishermen. Yet, as one follower of Jesus planted the seed, and another follower of Jesus watered the seed, they could see their master making it grow as they stood there. Now, as we get to the new, end of the New Testament age, we already see references to miracles beginning to drop off. We see things like healings beginning to drop off. Think of the Apostle Paul who asked for a thorn to be removed from his flesh. What exactly that thorn was, we're uncertain. Some people think it was his eyesight that was failing him. Some people think it was some other thing. But he prayed and the Lord chose to leave him with it. And likewise, when he speaks to Timothy, whom he loves as dearly as his own son, he tells Timothy to take what's the mo- what was their equivalent of medicine for his stomach, to drink some wine for his stomach. Not laying his hands on him and healing him, but getting the Lord to work through different means to grant him relief from his frequent bouts of pain. We see already references to miracles beginning to drop off as the end of the New Testament age draws near. There was a time and place for it when miracles came very frequently. It accompanied the word. And there are still times in places where the word is exploding in particular areas where you hear of remarkable things happening today as it accompanies the word going out. It gave those people who carried the gospel to new places confidence that Jesus was with them. Gave people who had their very first exposure to the gospel message the understanding that there was divine power behind them. To all, it becomes clear that Jesus Christ, who has ascended into heaven, was on the throne. But as the gospel becomes more firmly established and the need for miraculous signs accompanying it drops off, what begins with miracles of one kind swiftly moves into miracles of another kind. Miracles of transformed lives. Miracles of everyday lives that are touched by the gospel. And those miracles, while different from these miraculous signs, are no less clear in pointing to the power of the one who is on the throne, in pointing to the fact that the Lord Jesus is in his place there, that the Lord Jesus is also with his people. Miracles were a constant reminder to believers that it was not them, but Jesus Christ who was with them and who carried out the work. And again, as we carry out the work today, we are reminded of the immense privileges that it is to be Jesus' fellow workers 1 Corinthians 3, reminded again that he is with us, given the comfort that he is working through us. Knowing that the ascended Lord is with us is also true today. And this can make us brave. He is the one who is Lord. He is the one who is in control As the disciples preached everywhere, trembling, miserable, and hiding no more, but speaking bravely, so too can we be emboldened to speak 
bravely. Because Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord, is with you too. He is with you wherever you go. He is with you when you're going to Bruce's nuclear power plant for work, as you prepare schoolwork to send home to the parents, as you feed your children, having them gathered around the dinner table, as you step out into your tractor to work the fields, as you run your businesses, as you go outdoors to do landscaping, as you settle behind your computer to work from home. He is with you. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 2, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. They bear witness wherever they go as a letter of the work that Jesus Christ had done to transform them, going from place to place. Our very lives where they bear witness to the lordship of Christ are miracles known and read by everyone. They testify of the miraculous power and the almighty love and the constant presence of our Lord. And we take that with us wherever we go. And this comfort can also be with us as we look to speak to people. Our hearts can be pounding as we enter into the workplace and as we're at parties or as we're in different situations and we think about sharing the name of Jesus. We want to speak with him over our fence line to our neighbors or in the school at lunch break, maybe when we go back to school in person. But we are afraid. But notice what happens when we pray and when we rest ourselves, reminding ourselves of the Lordship of Jesus Christ before we enter into these kinds of situations. He is always with us. But when we pray, reminding ourselves especially of that as we come into these kinds of situations, taking time to thank Jesus Christ that he is our ascended Lord, asking him to give us opportunity and then words to say. He makes us braver. There is still maybe nervousness. Considering the ch- consider the child for a second that's left home for the first time and that has all these siblings around and now they have to get them all ready to go to bed. The first time they speak, there is nervousness and doesn't all go perfectly. But as they grow, resting in the authority that has been granted to them by their parents, remembering the authority of their parents that's behind them as they speak, and seeing the effects of change as they speak again and then again and then again, they grow in confidence. There is still maybe nervousness, but we trust that he's on the throne. We pray, and then we enter in, and we trust that he's on the throne. He might not give us the opportunity to speak at that time, but that's because he's on the throne, and he's chosen to do so. 
And when he gives us the opportunity to speak, as we remind ourselves time and time again, as we pray time and time again, entering into different situations, then something marvelous happens. When we've remembered who is on the throne and who is to be glorified, he reminds us that he is with us. And though our tongues may stumble and we may not speak always clearly, he is right there comforting us even through that, that he is on the throne. And however it went, everything still went and came to pass in the way that he intended it to. He delights in our faithfulness and he will use it as he sees fit. And on the days when he gives us a special dose of this grace, we find ourselves speaking with an eloquence or clarity that we didn't even realize that we had. We're reminded again even more powerfully that our ascended Lord is with us, that he is confirming his word through us, the living letters that declare his rule and love, walking miracles that he touches our lives and brings them under submission to his rule. Confirming his word through us, making us braver, than we are on our own. Comforting us when things do not go well, when things do not go according to plan. Delighting in our desire for obedience, as stumbling and halting as it might be. Working through everything that we do because he is our Lord. He is working and he is with us. Amen.